You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where industry leaders, regulators, and lovers of cannabis gather collectively to move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Professionals and Canacurious alike can tune in to hear leading cannabis experts share and discuss headlines, critical industry issues, social topics, and more. The State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Hi, and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and 20 seconds. We are a group of experts in different cannabis spaces with a wide diversity of perspectives and life experiences. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Friday, May 27th, 2022. This is episode number 289. I'm Susan Sores, the founder of the State of Cannabis News Hour, author of the children's book, What's Growing in Grandma's Garden, and Cannabis's Favorite Grandma, a.k.a. Nanogram. If you are listening to the podcast, the show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 30,000 State of Cannabis NewsHour members if you want to be an audience participant. Otherwise, please subscribe to support our show. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a review. Today we're talking about strong support growing in the U.S. Senate for banking, Georgia voters approve a legalization ballot question, Amazon selling CBD in the U.K., Heidi Klum's take on German cannabis law, the old Halloween candy hysteria, California cannabis retailers 100% compliant on ID checks, and many other frosty nuggets. So stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour. The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised. Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read, and we'll try to bring you up to the stage. Keep it brief and relevant, or you might get the gone. Kicking off the show today is Rico Lamite. He likes to ask the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask. The self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is here to encourage other dope dads. Find him on TEDx or at one of his Cannavision events, but always find him here every weekday as co-producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour. What have you got for us today, Rico? All right, sorry. Little, got my hands full over here. There's like a... Uh outbreak at the uh, daycare so baby Zora's with me this morning so apologies in advance for the loudness but my story's coming from the Times UK Heidi Klum rolls up to talks on German cannabis law celebrities yeah they're just like us no not really but at least they all love weed in an absolutely unexpected twist follow-up to my story earlier this week on Snoop Dogg and Casa Verde's distro expansion in Germany. It seems like the dog, the dog father just might be pulling strings behind the scenes as well. Per the article, Germany's next top model, head honcho Heidi Klum, was spotted at the German capital last Friday strolling around the Berlin government district, all smiles with her husband, German musician Tom Collitz, uh, campaigning for, the le- uh, for legalization of cannabis. The exact photo that set off speculation was taken of her walking out of the office of German federal government drug commissioner Burkhardt Blainert. Uh, RTL claims to have learned from a source within the government. She subsequently met with a member of the Bundestag 
Andrew Ullman, and international rumors have been swirling now about the native Rhinelander launching a career in politics, which makes sense as she and uh, Collitz have been open about their support for cannabis usage and disappointment of the lack of movement past medical access in their native Germany. But what spurred Klum to get political about the weed industry? Here's where things get weird. You may or not have heard Klum and Snoop's uh, new single that dropped early in March. It's called Chai Tea with Heidi. And uh, not to yuck anyone else's yum, but in my opinion, it's pretty fucking horrible. (laughs) But hey, it exists. In a recent interview with uh, Billboard magazine, Klum said, uh, while recording the single, the duo definitely put something in the air. when I think back on the day, I can't remember much, but I do remember that I really had a craving for Cheetos that day, she said. Um, alluding to my story earlier this week, Snoop and Casa Verde are pretty much funding the German Amazon of weed with uh, Cansativa, a Hessian startup with the first app, also the first app allowing medical consumers to place orders on on their smartphones. Could Heidi Klum have been inspired by her new studio sesh buddy while cooking up quite possibly one of the worst musical collaborations since Lil Wayne and Weezer? Y'all didn't know that shit existed either, did you? Google it and thank me for ruining your Friday. But seriously, as Calvin Broadus quietly turning into the Emperor Palpatine of international cannabis business? I think he just might be. Uh, though tight-lipped to the press in the stark contrast to the bland sea of navy, uh, navy blue, olive, and black everywhere in the government district, Klum wore a bright blue and green pantsuit, not really to hide the fact she was there meeting with German senior drug officials. Unannounced. In her secret meeting with Bernhard Bleiner, the federal commissioner of, of addiction, she not so subtly catwalked out that shit, smiling for the paps each step of the way. It was also reported that uh, in a meeting with Blindart was uh, Finn Hansel, who heads medical cannabis company Sanity Group. And according to uh, the magazine Build, Blindart was blindsided by Klum's positions taken during the meeting as she was expected to talk about illegal drug abuse, but instead focused all of her comments on government investment in a future of legalized cannabis. Interesting indeed. And though I'm confident the world does not need another garbage-ass gangster rap-assisted pop song, uh, huge props to Snoop in landing in planting the seeds globally that are sure to bring us a greener future for the better. This is Rico Lamit, dopest dad on the street for the State of Cannabis News Hour. What do you have to say about that, team? Yeah, this is definitely about the money. And while in a war you need all the allies you can get, this just seems like, you know, easy pickings. And I think we're going to see a lot more of this as cannabis becomes more normalized, where folks with an audience think they can be safely irreverent and capitalize on our industry celebrities 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 like (laughs) i almost puked in my i almost puked in my mouth while i was reading this shit but it is what it is and you got to do what you got to do to push the legalization i'm all i'm all for it wasn't she married to seal at one point rico yeah they were married for a long time and uh yeah she dropped him and got this uh young ass dude a uh, 32 year old guitarist musician, and uh, she got her mojo back. Props to props to Heidi. He's he's somewhere, you know, um, doing his thing too. I guess. Am I like the new tabloid specialist? Is that why you're asking me these questions? I mean, you you, you did you did the story. There. I figured I figured you may know. Uh, okay. I, I thought it she must was be- still with Seal. It must be weird to have cameras following you around wherever you go. You really deliberate in your outfit choice. Ugh. 
But she did that shit on purpose. Like props to her. She did that shit on purpose. Right. Like everywhere, everybody's wearing yeah. bland ass shit. She made sure she stuck out, uh, stuck out, and uh, she was not announced to be there talking about anything. And she just showed up, bright bluish green, and was like, "Look at me. I'm not saying anything to any of you motherfuckers, but you will be asking questions later. I'm out." Big question is, does she have her own strain? I'm pretty sure she has her own strand. Clumdom. Let's keep smoking the news. Please. <laughs> how do you how do you say how do you say boof in German? Clumdum. Clumdum. <laughs> uh, anyways, up next. <laughs> he seems to be fully recovered from his birthday celebration two days ago. And uh it, it, it <coughs> It makes me happy to announce the industry's longest continuously running operator is back on the scene. After smoking the best weed in the world all damn week, he's got his energy back and he's no longer in the same category as Jeb Bush. Jason Beck, what you got for us today? Oh, yeah, Rico. Happy Friday, everybody. And where today, my story, I'd love this story today because detection of THC in your blood is exalted breath is non-correlated with impairment. That's right. Just because weed's in your system does not mean you're impaired. Neither the detection of THC in blood nor breath is correlated with impairment of performance or recency of cannabis exposure, according to data published by the Journal of Natural Scientific Reports. Scientists quantified THC levels in the blood and in the breath of regular cannabis consumers prior to smoking and thereafter researchers also addressed the duration of subjects impairment following inhalation consistent with other studies investigators reported that a majority of subjects possessed residual levels of thc in their blood at levels of five nanograms or higher which i happen to piss nan- five nanograms every time i wake up in the morning as a baseline authors acknowledge that thc was present in these subjects blood despite the absence of any impairment Following subjects' inhalation of cannabis, authors identified an inverse relationship between THC blood levels and impairment of performance, a finding that is also consistent with prior research. They wrote the findings provide further evidence that single measurements of specific Delta-9 THC blood contaminants do not correlate with impairment and that the use of per se legal limits of Delta-9 THC is not scientifically justifiable at the present time. Take that, you fucking prohibitionist. Normal has long advocated against the imposition of of THC blood thresholds as predators of impairment and per se traffic safety limits in particular because they are not consistently correlated with changes in subjects' performance. Alternatively, Normal has called for the expanded use of performance-based tests like DRUID. About a dozen U.S. states have incorporated either per se a zero tolerance per se standards into their traffic safety laws. The study authors also identified the residual presence of THC in the breath of subjects at a baseline absent of any signs of impairment. They determined our findings are consistent with others that have shown that Delta 9 THC can be detected in breath up to several days since last use because of leading technologies for breath Based testing for recent cannabis use relies solely on the detection of Delta 9 THC. This could potentially result in false positive test outcomes due to the presence of THC Delta 9. 
in breadth outside of the impairment window. They concluded, we present further evidence that single measurements of Delta-9 THC in the blood cannot establish impairment and that a single measurement of Delta-9 THC exhaled in the breath likewise do not correlate with impairment. Well, this is fantastic news for everybody ripping and running on the streets and that uses cannabis for road rage. And this is Jason Beck reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I got a new soundbite today, Jason, <clears throat> saying, take that, you prohibitionists. I love this story. I don't like driving, and especially long trips. I get really sleepy. I have to be eating constantly to stay awake because it's so boring to me. Uh, and if I smoke a little bit of weed, then I can wake up and focus and drive better. Period. End of story. Thanks for bringing this story, Jason. I think this is great because it shows like the, the data, you know, the proof's in the pudding there. The numbers show it. And so that's awesome. Like, thank you. Yeah, Jason, I think there's a huge win for, for everybody. But when has science stopped the prohibitionists from making laws against us in the past? Hey, good morning, morning, everybody. It just gives us more ammunition, Rico. Good morning, everybody. Yeah, I, I, I really think that it's, it's going to take a combination of showing impairment, not, not blood, not, you know, saliva levels. It's going to be a test that shows that they're impaired with their ability to think and their ability to react. So it's going to, going forward, we need a test that can encompass all of that. And I think this article mentions something about that, an app called Druid that um, helps you detect your own impairment if you even think about it. Uh, so that's, you know, time recognition, those kind of things. So it's going to, it's going to be about performance. Well, wouldn't with with the exception of the police officer's bias, doesn't a field sobriety test uh, get that same effect? I think field sobriety tests test for impairment. Unfortunately, when they smell something or they suspect something, their bias is what gets in the way. But I believe we already have a process for testing somebody when they're impaired. I just think that unfortunately it has too much of a human factor, and I would love a machine in there for sure. But yeah, I, but, I, well, I, I agree. But we 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 covered a story earlier this year where cops who were trained in drug recognition were wrong 35% of the time. And I was wishing that Chris Eggers was here so he could tell us what is the false positive for the routine um, sobriety test versus these, you know, drug recognition people. Um, yeah, I like, I like the technology too, because you can get false positive with the human element. <clears throat> this story is great because the burden of proof is proof beyond a reasonable doubt. And this evidence suggests if you could introduce this in a court, you really can't prove beyond a reasonable doubt that just because somebody has THC in their breath, that they were impaired in that moment. And that same factor, you know, the same statistic you just said, 35% of the time, the, uh, the cops are wrong about impairment. These statistics should be published in every DUI lawyer's office. So they remember to bring it up when they're in court and their client is facing a challenge of driving under the influence of cannabis. Just remember, everyone, do not admit, and the law will acquit. Yeah. So, Brandon and Jason, I guess what we're saying is don't admit, let them administer the, administer the blood test, and when you get to court, you can provide this data and just say, yeah, it was in my system, but I wasn't impaired at the time. Exactly right. And tell them basically to go fuck themselves. I got pulled over for speeding, and when the cop stuck his head in my window, my passenger window, to give me the ticket, he smelled cannabis, and he's like, all right, get out of the car. And he did the field sobriety test, and he said, after giving it to me, he goes, ma'am, 
uh, you must uh, you must be on meth or something. Your your pulse is so high and your sense of time is so wrong. And I he, I, I lost my shit. I said, "Fuck you, asshole! Do I look like a meth head? Come on! Just because I'm a medical cannabis patient, you're gonna put that on me? That you, you're so wrong." And I just went off on this guy, and he's like, "Calm down, calm down. I am not gonna ticket you. I I get it." And but that was I, I couldn't help myself. It just it's just so ridiculous these well, it's cops so, it's so you're you're very fortunate susan because if i had said that if i had acted like you did, i know i, would I know be dead. i would be dead yeah no i i know i know i i couldn't i couldn't bite my tongue it was you know it's like nine o'clock in the morning you know yeah we've got to get the the human bias out of it can anything be that they say be used against them in the court of law too? No, cops can right. lie. It's called test a lie. What about if you're recording them on your iPhone? I mean, then you can present that as evidence in court, but you, you can't. No, they're allowed to lie. It depends on the state. California, states you can't use that. You can't do it. No. Yeah. No. Well, then get to a better state. Wait, are you saying that if I record a police officer in some states, that's not admissible? That's correct. Yes, correct. Oh, that's bullshit, because I just got my car wired especially for that. I mean, I'll be candid with you guys <laughs> as a Yay. pulled over. And yeah, I expect that as soon as I get pulled over, I'm calling my lawyer and I'm recording because I'm not trying to die out here on these streets. Maybe we need to get some clarification on that and touch on this on Monday. Uh, but I think we're way ask over time. For their, ask for their consent when they, when they ask you to roll down the window. Say, do I have my consent to record you? There was an app that did that too. Like as soon as you opened it, it would start recording. Um, it was a cannabis friendly one. I'm not sure if that's. Still I think came, I think it came from the ACLU. Well, nonetheless, that was a great conversation, everybody. And this pinup girl isn't just your ordinary man cave wallpaper. She's an all around data cruncher that's known a thing or two about numbers and shit. An educator, a brand strategist, a healthcare consultant and founder of the Cannabis Business Council of Santa Barbara County. It's Liz Rogan. Thank you so much, Jason. Greetings, everyone. Happy Friday. Thanks for joining us. My story today comes from the Oregonian, or Oregon Live, by Mike Rogaway. The headline reads, Portland Marijuana Production Blunder Sickened More Than a Dozen. Here's how it happened. So in September of 2021, Portland-based Cureleaf Select Brand mixed up THC and CBD, which prompted several lawsuits. So through a public records request, more information has come to light. The mix-up comes down to a single employee, uh, Liam Drain. His actions on that June 1st day made all the difference. In examining videos of his 10-hour shift where Liam um, both bottles both the CBD wellness drops and THC drops, he is on video for his 10-hour shift. He's working in and out of a cage where Cureleaf stored two buckets uh, looking at a whiteboard in a bottling area. They had the THC and CBD in two buckets. Uh, they were next to each other, but the buckets did have different color lids. So otherwise they were the same bucket and they had ID numbers, but there was one number difference and it was written on a blue tag affixed to the handle with a rubber band. So Drain uh, removed the ID tags when he was um, filling these and then he 
put it down and leaves it on the table. And so it appears he can fuse the two buckets and then put the THC into the CBD bottles labeled for CBD. So he acknowledged to state investigators that might be what happened. He said it wouldn't be normal for him to have two tags in his hands at once, but he might have. Cureleaf said, quote, new protocols include extensive color coding of product ingredients aligned to THC and CBD percentage and a new sealed and, st and uh, serialized tamper-proof tagging system. And they retain samples from each batch so they can test them again before it goes to market. Cureleaf said staffing changes were made as soon as the error was identified. And uh, one team member was reassigned to a role without direct responsibility, quote, for product quality. And one employee left the company. So the company itself settled 10 lawsuits uh, related to it, and one remains pending. Uh, in September, even though this was bottled in June, the effects first came to light in September. Uh, a gentleman from Idaho purchased CBD drops, Select, and he was driving home. He uh, almost wrecked his motor home. There's a lot of other symptoms for a lot of people who are driving, had problems. One gentleman thought he had a stroke. He ended up having an unnecessary surgery. Um, as part of that. So these mistakes can be have pretty serious consequences. So it is very important to implement these safety practices and policies that we see, you know, among the food industry and other things. I'm sure Guy has some insight on here. But Kiraleaf says, quote, the health and safety of our patients and customers remains our number one priority. And we feel confident about the changes made to ensure this doesn't happen again, end quote. This is an important thing for cannabis businesses um, and government regulators to look at because it's like, it hurts everyone when this happens, but who is really responsible in taking the lead and tightening this up and making sure this doesn't happen? Cureleaf dealt with a lot of fines and other things regarding this, but to me, this story was really about like, what actually happened behind the scenes? How did this happen? And how do we have this not happen again? Because obviously this is something that we're looking for wellness in our industry. We don't want to... Um, cause any extra challenges for anyone. So this is Liz Rogan. I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I would love to have time to hear what anyone else has to say on this story. Yeah, thanks for bringing this, Liz. And like, one, something is definitely wrong here. I can tell you this would never happen in our shop. It's like one couple of things. You should have SOPs that are tight enough where when a person is mixing a formulation, they should pull everything out, double check it. Then after it's formulated, at least in California, where we test in final form, it's been bottled and labeled, and then you test it. So if it was mislabeled, you would know. There should be so many checks and balances before a product hits market in your shop that that, that shouldn't happen. So something else is going on here that they're not telling us. I'm just, it, it, yeah, this is crazy because Cureleaf often, these MSOs are looked at as more professional, larger outfits. Yes, we've built our GMP-like facility here in Eureka, but I know that that's not possible. The way we pull our cannabis with metric and the way we lay out stuff before we do blends, much more the way it's tested further down the line, really prevents these kinds of mistakes. So I'd really like to know what happened too, because I don't think it's as simple as a gentleman having two tags. That is not how you formulate at scale. Also, one gentleman blending all of Cureleaf stuff I have a team of at least three or four people on the blend team. Never mind blend team then going to bottling. They should be two separate areas. But anyway, I digress. I'm just saying suspect. I want to see the NDAs that the two employees had to sign. It seems that Cureleaf and Select, and Select are both uh, pretty popular this week on the wrong side of the news. They're going through some shit. And it's, it's still another reminder also that it's, it can be dangerous to drug someone without their knowledge and permission. 
Yes. Depends on what you're drugging them with. No, thank you, Dr. Felicia. Yes, do not dose anybody without their knowledge. Don't do it. Yeah, 100%, especially with cannabis. We know that the biggest detriment to cannabis is when people don't realize how safe it is and they start freaking out. So if you're unaware, even myself, if I was unaware that I was getting fed an edible, that would freak me out. Like, it's just not cool to do that. It's sexy. It goes against what all of what we do and all of what we're trying to move forward. So it's it really is unfortunate. The surgery thing somebody mentioned, it was kind of interesting. The guy, they said he had some um, something on his leg and they couldn't find out what was happening. So they actually went and operated on his leg. So this older gentleman supposedly had surgery unnecessarily. I do think that's also pretty suspect. There should be a lot more looked into that before someone's doing surgery. But such an interesting story. It's total suspect, Liz. Okay, <laughs> let's keep smoking the news. He saw an industry full of folks on both sides of the aisle seeming to li- to aim lower and lower. That's when this dope dad decided he's had enough and he was hitting the high road. Based in Austin, Texas, the host and co-producer of a new show with the exact same name in collaboration with Sensi Magazine is hitting stage next. Stone Slade, what you got for us today, my brother? Thank you, Rico. Thank you, Zoe. Uh, today, my story comes from Nate Benson from Two on Your Side in Buffalo, New York. And okay, I, I know we're rolling into summer, but I had to pick up this light Halloween time story when I saw it because I've never seen any follow-up to the annual Reefer Madness Balderdash leading up to the fun night of trick-or-treating for kids across the country. You know the one, when local governments and news stations warn parents and their kid that their kids are getting cannabis-tainted candy in their goodie bags. So as I mentioned, the story's out of Buffalo, New York, and I really have to commend WGRZ's Two on Your Side for going the extra mile to find out this very important uh, data uh, about just how many poor innocent children are being exposed to Sinister Mary Jane on All Hallows Eve. The week leading up to Halloween of 2021 in Buffalo, Attorney General Letitia James issued a press release similar to many around the country, warning parents to be on the lookout for cannabis products that look like candy. Attorney General James said in the release, these unregulated and deceptive cannabis products will only confuse and harm New Yorkers, which is why they have no place in our state. James urged New Yorkers to contact her office if they encountered any cannabis products after trick-or-treating on Halloween. So after Halloween, on November 5th and 10th, two on your side reached out to the AG's office to see if any reports came in after her urgent warnings. After not getting a response, WGRZ then filed a freedom of information law request in January for that information. And you know, with, with some state officials making such a big deal about this every year, I'm happy that someone's finally asking to see the numbers so that we can get to the bottom of this rampant epidemic that obviously deserves all the annual scare propaganda that it receives. Look, speaking as a parent, by all means, you should always take a look in your kids' bags after Halloween. I mean, you're literally sending them out there to take candy from strangers. And it's the best opportunity, obviously, that you'll to have to snag the best candy from the bag. With that said, it's not hard to see what makes this message of fear so easy to spread. Knockoff brand cannabis candy that's made to look like it's coming straight from the Wonka factory, resembling everything from nerd ropes to Oreos. Dr. Vincent Callio, medical director for the Upstate Poison Center in Syracuse, said just by the nature of the edible product, they can oftentimes be confused, particularly by small children. He went on to say that the issue isn't so much the packaging, even it's the product simply looks like candy that kids want to eat. As a responsible cannabis consumer and parent, I've never left my stash where my kids could get their hands on it. Actually, now in their 20s, they can't keep their hands off of it. But you know what I mean. I know that, unfortunately, there are going to be some people who are careless. And it definitely doesn't help if the packaging looks like snacks that the kids recognize. So now my interest is peaked. 
I'm dying to know just how many children fell victim to the evil cannabis creatures trying to sneak their tainted treats in the little Johnny and Jenny's Halloween bags. If only the AG would tell us how many incidents were reported in New York after last Halloween. And finally, just this month, after multiple delays, the Attorney General provided that information. Are you ready? They received one complaint and actually had nothing to do with trick-or-treating. It was from a consumer saying that a medical marijuana dispensary had sold her stale or spoiled medical marijuana and she can't get any help. The business denies her claim and the health department won't communicate with her. So there it is, folks. Don't believe the hype. People don't want to give their cannabis to your kids. I'm Stone Slade reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Thank you so much for sharing that one. Oh, yeah. Only one complaint. Sounds like people are blowing smoke up our ass in every state, crying wolf that children are being harmed by these allegedly counterfeit products. I don't buy it. Um, it's all smoke and mirrors. Like, they don't do this to alcohol companies when kids get into the liquor cabinet. It's not that big of a problem. Thank you, Stu. Maybe we need a new motto instead of don't take candy from a stranger. Maybe it should be don't take strange candy. Because that's it's, it is a problem. You know, kids are getting their parents' edibles and taking them to school. I'm seeing stories every week now. Yeah, um, yeah. Thank you so much for this uh, story, Stone. This is outstanding. And uh, to your point, Susan, yes, like my wife is the director of mental health for 23 schools between uh, L.A. and San Diego. And, and that's why I did a special with her recently going live and just like answering questions from a lot of these parents because they are popping up absolutely everywhere. Um, my issue, though, isn't that this story came back in a clap back at those complaints is it's how many people were reached with the initial report and with the initial reefer madness that went out um, scaring all of these people and they're just turned off like not too many people go check for these follow-up stories or, or, or check for the corrections they're just they just hear the first thing they get scared and they stick to whatever they heard first yeah that, that that's right rico and unfortunately i was just made aware here in eureka that uh, I'm hoping it's not our products, but a young uh, person in, I believe, fifth grade took some gummies to school, handed them out to his friends, and a whole bunch of people had to go to the hospital. And although nothing really came of it um, in terms of their health, uh, that is really bad. And so this wasn't a case of somebody giving the candy so much as a parent left edibles unsecure and this child brought them to school. And I'm sure there's going to be blowback in our community for that. Just waiting for the shoe to fall. Perhaps we'll report on it next week. We need a study that that studies the other things that kids are getting into in comparison with cannabis. Well, the other thing is like like dabbing Tide Pods. Well, the other thing is this, that like, really, if you actually look at the scientific research, they show that children's endocannabinoid systems are still developing in their brains. So it actually takes a larger dose of THC to get a child high. I know this is kind of beside the point here, but the thing is, I don't think they're being harmed. Wow. Uh, Christopher, you get the last word, then we're going to relight the room. Yeah, Stone, I'm really grateful you brought the story. It's a really terrific follow-up. And, uh, you know, there's so much noise around Halloween that we all have to put up with. And there is no follow-up when there's uh, when there's no result like this. So this is really great that you dug this up. And thank you. And I think, too, what you point out is kind of a roadmap for what the what the industry could do in advance next year of Halloween. This is kind of a roadmap of what we can say, which is that there is no evidence, but 
I think, Susan, your, your uh, tagline was kind of a good one about be careful of, of bad candy. But this, this offers the industry an opportunity to tell a better story than the, than the prohibitionists next year, and uh, we should look into that. Yeah, PSA, don't take strange candy. You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. The thoughts and opinions expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour are those of the individual speakers and not those of any other speaker, the State of Cannabis, or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and the State of Cannabis and the speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any exceptions in any country, area, or territory, or of any authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationship. The sponsorships of the State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of the State of Cannabis or any speaker. Viewer discretion advised. Let's keep smoking the news. This beard was born and bred in Michigan. Maybe that's why this beard commands such a presence, because baby is cold outside. So cold that the beard was compelled to move to sunny Long Beach, California, where the beard received a law degree. Known in the bar exam as the Brandon Beard Award for high scores, this intellectual IP attorney and CEO of Fruit Slabs is none other than Brandon Dorsky. Let's go, Brandon. What do you have for us today? Thanks for having me. My headline comes from Marijuana Moment. It's Georgia voters approve marijuana legalization ballot question. Georgia voters approved a ballot measure to support the legalization of adult use cannabis. The marijuana measure on the ballot was leading by a margin of 80% approving and 20% not, with roughly 99% of counties having reported all of their votes as of earlier this week. State Democratic Party leadership placed nine non-binding advisory questions on the primary election ballot, including a cannabis measure. The ballot measure asked, should marijuana be legalized, taxed, and regulated in the same manner as alcohol for adults 21 years of age or older, with proceeds going towards education, infrastructure, and healthcare programs? The overwhelming support for legalization underscores the need for reform in Georgia. Reforms to Georgia's limited medical cannabis program advanced in both chambers of the legislature, but did not pass in final form. Senate Democrats in Georgia tried to enact a bill in 2020 that would have decriminalized low-level cannabis possession, but it did not advance. There has also been some movement on the psychedelic front in the state, where lawmakers advanced a bipartisan resolution that calls for the formation of a House of a committee to investigate the therapeutic potential of substances like psilocybin. The Republicans, the Republican ballot measure, did not have any cannabis questions, so we don't know how if there is or is not support amongst Republicans in the state of Georgia the way we do now with the overwhelming numbers coming from this Democratic ballot measure that was just on their ballot. Uh, there was not much else in this article, but it's good to see the state signaling that they are eager and very much wanting, uh, by a margin of four to one, legal cannabis in their state. It's Brandon Dorsky reporting for the State of Cannabis News. Well, as a resident of Georgia, I was so excited to look at my primary ballot and see all these questions. I was like, wow, they really care. These are issues that I really care about. And I was so disappointed to learn that the Republican ballot did not have the same questions on it. You know, the, the Republicans had the uh, trans ban and uh, Mexican border, those kind of things on it. So I was like a little disappointed to find out that, you know, everybody in the state could, didn't get a chance to vote on this. I hear that. I feel like uh, state by state, maybe a new strategy should be putting some pressure on the politicians to make sure that there is a ballot measure for both for whatever your political party affiliation is that if there's not legal cannabis in your state right now that there is a ballot measure at the next election and we should be leaning into our party leadership to make sure that it's there so that the politicians can't keep ignoring 
this question and can finally start doing what the people want, which is making cannabis legal everywhere. Where's Redman? He needs to be doing this. Redman needs to be on our show. Where are you at, Nicole? He needs to step it up. Yeah, get on the show, Redman. Redman will be available Friday at CWCBE in New York at the Javits Center if you're interested in coming. Nice. Hit me up. Gretchen has a code for you if you hit her up in the back channel. I will give you a code. Yes. And this is brand news, breaking news. I shouldn't have said it. We actually haven't announced it yet, but he's coming. Would you say um, that you just broke the G code, Gretchen? Uh, Gretchen, would you let him know about the show if you have a chance, please? And thank you. Sure, of course. Yay. Awesome. I'm going to make him talk about uh, his national cannabis party. That's what I'm trying to make him do. We'll see how it goes. You guys, this really brings up something. I think that it's like really just Dr. Felicia Felicia uh, telling us about that with the voting. It just really seems that we need to continue to make sure that we get out there, vote, are aware of everything that's happening and continue to push this forward. How important that is. Let's keep smoking the news. Come on, Rico. Oh, that was all quick. That was quick as fuck, Jason. So <laughs> <your ass>. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So this well-known and revered industry OG veteran, dope dad, and defender of our culture is never hesitant to speak up for the industry's legacy. Coming to the stage next is the co-founder and CEO of the 2022 Emerald Cup champion brand, Papa and Barkley. Here to bless all our ears with a little G-Co gospel. Guy Rocourt, what you got for us today, my man? Good morning, Rico. Thank you. Good morning, Jason. Good morning, Susan. Today, coming out of Mugglehead Magazine, my article reads, Tilray launches new CBD wellness brand sold via Amazon UK. The new pollen brand will feature three lines of products, Power Bank, Soothe You, and No Pressure. Leading can produce for Tilray and release a new CBD and wellness and sold the company announced a new brand. Gay, we're, you're breaking up. No, you're you're roboting. Uh, I'm near Wi-Fi. Can you guys hear? That was. I can you hear that last one. Oh. There you go. Oh wait, is it okay? Yeah. So, sorry about that, folks. Um, on Thursday, the company announced uh, a new brand, Pollen, will have CBD gummies and drinks under three brand lines and will be sold via Amazon UK, a subsidiary of Amazon.com. Power Bank will produ- produ- promote natural energy boost, while No Pressure aims to soften the pressure of everyday stress and restore the body's natural balance. The third line, Soothe You, is aimed at mind-body balance. Each Pollen product is formulated with CBD and a f- range of flavorful and vegan-friendly ingredients that simply taste good and feel good the cbd gummies have a total of 300 milligrams of cbd per pack and are independently tested for accurate dosage well i should hope that they are according to research markets and leading players in the cbd gummies including aurora cannabis whose stock went up 2.77 percent to 3.57 on the toronto stock exchange it also includes canopy growth whose stock went up 8.31% 8.31% to $6.98. So this is a boom for these booth marketplaces. Um, you know, I I appreciate the pushing of safe access leading with CBD into the year into the EU. I don't trust these conversation these companies particularly to continue to have the full conversation and really bring full spectrum safe access, but I suppose anything is better than nothing. 
The product looks professional, but I suspect that the inside is just distillate and garbage. I hate to just be so harsh on Tilray and some of these other companies, but they have not impressed in the past. So while the packaging is great, and while it's great to have money to be able to effectuate and get into markets and partner with Amazon, I'm a little bit not super happy. Uh, I'll be candid. Some of it is jealousy, I guess, because I feel like I have a super wellness brand that should be ported to Europe. And I know the hoops that, that we're being put through. And so sometimes when you see other companies sliding through like this with booth products, uh, I, I just, just question mark you guys. But I guess for the people of the EU, at least they can get something. I don't know. Gee, I guess we can just call it. I guess we can just call Tilray a whole bunch of pollen hucksters. Yeah. I think this is scary, honestly. It's like this is obviously it's like follow the money. The people are going to keep going that way. But it's I just really hope that this starts to highlight the craft and the companies that are doing it right and, and that they can people can start to see that. I knew when I saw Amazon backing off of employee testing for cannabis that they were about to get into the market. I knew it was just a matter of time. Yeah, I, I am a little bit. I wish our industry and folks who are trying to be in it would realize that slick packaging is not the only thing. I mean, the packaging looks so slick and I feel like it's just an assault on the consumer senses. Like this is high quality. Look how premium we've packaged it. But inside there's no science and no efficacy. And I just wish we could get around that paradigm. Well, the UK government has made it awfully tough for uh, patients to, uh, to get cannabis over there. So uh, maybe this is a toe in the water and hopefully it will you know, open things up for, for other uh, excellent professional operators. That's the pipe dream, Christopher. Unfortunately, it's just the biggest of the big are going to win. That's the way capitalism works, especially on a global level. Um, it just is what it is. Follow the money. You're going to know where the, who the winners are going to be. Well, Christopher, I think you do make a good point because there's greater resistance in UK physicians than even American physicians to using medical cannabis. So, you know, maybe if this product performs well, maybe they'll, you know, loosen up a little bit. Yeah, I agree. I I think the toe-in, like any providing of safe access is, is important. And even around the this no pressure, the relieving of stress and sowing that CBD can relieve stress and help people get better sleep, you know, the efficacy is not in doubt here. And so perhaps it's a baby step. And rates of alcoholism in UK are very, very high. You know, beer culture is such a, is so embedded and, and ingrained. Uh, so perhaps we'll get a little bit of a movement in that direction as well. I don't get the name. I think it's a silly name. They're pollen hucksters. It's very self-explanatory. It's pretty inside <laughs> baseball. Yeah, that's that's what I was thinking, too. It's an insider joke. I don't get it. I mean, it's even yellow boxes. I mean, come on. It's pollen. Yellow like honey? Is all pollen yellow? Pollen is yellow, yes. No. Okay, let's keep smoking the news. All right, coming up next, she's an attorney at law focused on bridging the gap between cannabis entertainment and psychedelics coming next to the stage is the founder of the cannabis blog and podcast shall we talk it's none other than shalina panu thanks so much jason good morning everyone my name is shalina and my headline for today is oregon's first set of psilocybin rules are finalized in november 2020 ballot measure 109 passed in oregon which directs the oregon health authority to license and regulate the manufacturing transportation delivery sale and purchase with psilocybin products and the provision of psilocybin services last friday as stated by benzinga the oha closed the first round of administrative regulations in regards to the different psilocybin programs such as products testing and training, which will go into effect in January 2023. 
In the beginning of this year, Oregon published the first draft of the proposed psilocybin programs and asked for the public's feedback in April. The concerns highlighted three main areas, affordability, variety, and accessibility. As reported by Psychedelic Spotlight, affordability concerns from the public were significant, yet there was no rule change. The um, Oregon Psilocybin Services stated, while creating access to services is a priority, OPS does not have statutory authority to regulate the cost of psilocybin products or psilocybin services. Because OPS is a fee-based program, the cost of administrating the section's work must be covered by licensing and application fees. Another key concern was variety. Even though multiple concerns and protests were, bought, were brought, unfortunately, licensed manufacturers can only cultivate or, or possess one specific fungi sp species called psilocybe uh, cubans. Cuban cysts. I don't know if I'm saying that right. OPS asserts to avoid the risk associated with deadly poisonous look-alike and the potential for, for wood lovers paralysis and animal-borne pathogens. OPS has upheld this recommendation in final rules. Lastly, even though multiple people requested that the OPS expand the psilocybin delivery methods in order to increase accessibility, OPS stands firm in not allowing that. OPS states access to services is critical to the successor implementation, but OPS is unable to accommodate this request due to the language used in the Oregon Psilocybin Services Act. The letter further states after evaluating the issue, OPS determined that the text of the measure limits psilocybin products to those products that can be consumed orally. In addition, statutory language does not allow for consumption of psilocybin products or provisions of psilocybin services on any premise other than a licensed service center. And the only place the public made a change, uh, the public made a change is regarding simplifying psilocybin product testing and modifying facilitator training requirements. OPS stated some comments stated that the required hours for facilitator training were insufficient, while others stated that the required hours were overly burdensome. The final rules do make some adjustments. Required hours for the pharmacology module have been reduced, and hours for the group facilitation module have been increased. The in-person training requirement for core training modules has been been eliminated and the rules have been clarified to state that practica must be conducted in person. There is a second rulemaking process that will occur in the fall with Oregon accepting applications for psilocybin programs in June. What are your thoughts on Oregon psilocybin program? This is Shalina and I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. How the hell did psilocybin get ahead of us? Seriously, though, and I mean, I think it's like there seems to be less research on psilocybin. Everyone always says, where's the research? How do they how does this move forward so fast? It got ahead of us because there's a lack of black people involved with psilocybin that are um, uh, that are tugging at the heartstrings of people and getting them emotional. I believe that to be true, Rico. Wait, say that again, Rico. Because it's, psilocybin it's, is sort of a, a white person drug. Psilocybin is not tied to the war on drugs and a bunch of black people um, looking to get their cut. It's right. an easier path to legality. And they don't have to they don't have to appease anybody of, of, of color who deserves to get their kickbacks from the war on drugs. And it's, it's also a darling um, of the tech industry. Um, a lot of uh, programmers use it. And, you know, they're in the ear of our politicians um, who they give, you know, big tech gives them lots of money. So they're in in the ears of our politicians better than um, cannabis. Microdosing has become a magical buzzword. Microdosing is for pussies. Well, look, if it helps people, especially where people are at. The thing is, is that the low dose does make an, a difference for people that are um, like for uh, treatment for depression, et cetera. So the low doses does help in that way. We've got Oski up from the audience and we're going to give the last word to him. Hey, guys, Oski. how you doing? 
Um, I just wanted to say that uh, cannabis was made illegal in the 30s and uh, uh, shrooms were made illegal in the 60s. They had a lot of more forward research on mushrooms than they had for cannabis. When they banned cannabis, it was way before they did any research on it. And so therefore they, they banned it and don't have anything to go on when they put it back, when they put it back. Whereas shrooms have a whole bunch of forward research that proves its benefits. And that's why it's coming back so much faster than cannabis. Great point. Me. Thank you guys. Great point, Oski. All right, let's keep smoking the news. Let's. She splits days and nights between political strategy and baking delicious treats, but don't be fooled by the apron and oven mitts because she's also a full-time feisty redhead conservative with Mayflower roots, never scared. Yeah. Of verbal cage matches with libs across the aisle. Up next, the founder of Panoptic Strategies and our very own Washington insider, Gretchen Mayflower Gailey. What you got for us? Uh, Good afternoon, Rico. My headline today is coming from the Outlaw Report. Um, and it says, Blumenauer says, strong support, growing incentive for cannabis banking reforms. Uh, according to the Outlaw Report, you may soon be able to legally use your credit card to buy cannabis. That's because momentum is building behind a measure to allow weed businesses access to basic financial services, like accepting credit cards or even opening a company bank account. All eyes remain on the Senate, where the bipartisan and popular Safe Banking Act has yet to even receive a vote. Uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and other Democrats have demanded criminal justice reform to be a part of any cannabis normalization effort, but their blockade seems to be losing steam. Uh, Blumenauer says, there's been fascinating support from a number of senators on the conference committee, which, as you know, has the safe banking embedded in it. Blumenauer is a co-chair of the Congressional Cannabis Caucus, but he's also got a seat at the head negotiating table as a member of the conference committee on the innovation measure, the America Competes Act. Blumenauer is optimistic, uh, though he isn't spiking any footballs just yet. Uh, Never, but it's in the bill and there's strong support. I think we are in good shape. Uh, Last month, the House passed safe banking as a standalone bill. It sailed through the lower chamber, yada, 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 yada. Uh, It goes on to um, talk about how safe banking has gone through. Uh, Representative Morgan Griffith, uh, he gave his thoughts on it. He says, I've, I've always thought we've got the law screwed up. I do think there needs to be a complete relook at the law because of what the states are doing. I've always been for medicinal marijuana, but the law is now out of sync with what people are doing and what the states are doing. And you have to get that all straight. But Griffith says some Senate Democrats, most notably Chuck Schumer, are jeopardizing efforts to pass safe banking by demanding criminal justice reform be included in any bill to normalize weed at the federal level. That's an unrealistic stance, he says, unless Schumer wants a campaign issue rather than a policy solution. Uh, Griffith says, this is the first step, and there are a lot of my colleagues who aren't ready to take all the other steps, and so you're going to end up with nothing. Sometimes you have to take what you can get at the moment and then show people, okay, the sky didn't fall, let's move to the next step. And that's where I think we're at, and I think the Senate has screwed it up. Uh, I, of course, would always agree with uh, Representative Griffith there. Uh, I am hopeful that Blumenauer is correct, and since he is a man at the table of the uh, actual conference committee, I would think he's in a good place to say whether or not a safe is going to happen or not. Um, So I I would be optimistic that safe banking might be coming soon to the cannabis industry. This is Gretchen for uh, State of Cannabis News Hour. This is Gretchen for Safe (laughs) This is Gretchen for Safe Banking. Yes. There it is. Anybody? Fuck what? Yeah, I was going to say, crickets on this one? Come on. Come on, people. 
Hey, I'm, I, I, I love this story. You know, Earl is a good friend. Um, if, if he's signaling that that has a very high chance of, uh, of moving forward, then I'm very, very optimistic that, that it will move forward. Jason, did you call Earl on the morning after your birthday? Earl usually calls me, Rico. <laughs> Too easy. Well, it'll be interesting to see if this happens. Um, I, I am optimistic. Um, I do think Schumer is losing steam. And I think um, Morgan Griffith especially had it right when he says, do we want to fix policy or do we want this to be a campaign issue? Because that's all Chuck Schumer has made out of cannabis is a campaign issue. The man has made no real steps for viable policy uh, for the cannabis industry. Agreed. Not to mention that, too, uh, Gretchen, but he's also going to lose the Senate come November when Republicans take it over. I doubt that. Well, that's the other thing. It seems like there's so much... Everybody's just going for votes right now and just saying whatever. Obviously, our friend Dr. Oz, Jason's friend Dr. Oz. I see nothing but big red waves in everyone's future. Not red stains. You know, the crazy thing about that, like, I, I agree with you, Jason, but the crazy thing about that is the Democrats have so much they can go on to take these motherfuckers down, but they got no backbone. They got no fucking fire behind them. Democrats never have a strategy and don't know how to play the game, so they will lose. Um, although, I'm not too thrilled with the way the Republican Party's been acting. I do think uh, Roe v. Wade is going to make it tough on Republicans to get their, their stuff through. Because uh, I think we there need are to, many uh, female sorry. Republicans like myself who care. We need to keep moving, but I wanted to give Guy the last word. Yeah, oh, thank, thanks. I was just going to say, I'm starting to think that there are no parties. I think that they're all in cahoots because, yeah, Rico, how could Republicans have... Yeah. Guys have so much armament, so many things to say, and yet they're not calling out their fellow party people. I think they're all in the same game, collecting the money, and they just have some villains. It's like wrestling, bad guys and good guys, but they're all fake, and they're all planning it out to game us. I want to play a different game. Welcome to the Enlightenment, Guy. There are no political (laughs) parties. They are all just, this is an oligarchy. This is not a democracy. Don't believe any of the bullshit that they say. It's the the haves and the have-nots. You have money, you get shit done. If you don't, you're fucking lost in the mix, and they pretend to care. Burn it all down. Let's keep smoking the news. All righty, coming up next. Do, 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 do. Is it's it a, a bird? bird. It's a plane. Is it a plane? No, it's a delivery man with a delivery smoother than DHL and a price point lower than FedEx. That's right. It's Clark Kent Delivery. Coming next to the stage is Christopher Smith. He's the communication strategist and publisher of the American Cannabis Report. What do you have us for this morning, Clark? Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much, Jason. Good morning, Susan Rico. Uh, my story today is from Marijuana Moment, but it seems like just yesterday I reported on a very similar story. I guess it's been about a year already. COVID time is happening, I guess, when the coppers got some underage looking folks to try to get into dispensaries without showing ID. They're trying to prove the reefer madness theory that if there's a cannabis retail shop in town, the kids are going to have access. Oh, my God. And if I recall correctly, California did very well at this two years ago, Colorado and Washington. Washington were also put under the test, and they also nearly perfect, I think. Um, This year, as reported in this article by Kyle Yeager, the coppers tried the same stunt with 50 random dispensaries across our state. And again, California was 100% effective at requiring ID and keeping underage people out. The study is published this month in the Journal of Safety Research. And it makes sense, of course, when when the market is legalized and regulated, the sales occur through licensed dispensaries, then you 
have a strong gatekeeper system that keeps underage kids from buying cannabis. Dispensary owners stay righteous about IDs because, first of all, cannabis values are American values, and we care about the wellness of our kids and your kids. Additionally, their license already requires them to be vetted and fingerprinted by the FBI, so they're not likely to mess around with such a sensitive issue. And if they do risk their very, they risk their very large investment that it took to get the shop up and running. And in case none of that is compelling enough, in California, quote from the article, anyone who provides cannabis to someone underage faces up to six months in jail and a maximum $500 fine for a first offense. And the regulated market has been effective at keeping kids from getting cannabis underage. Study after study shows youth use is down where cannabis is legal and regulated. One of the most recently federally funded surveys on the topic stressed that youth marijuana use decreased significantly in 2021, as did teen consumption of illicit substances Overall, if you read this article, there are about 10 to 20 good links on this on that subject in case you need them. So the bottom line is the system is working. On the other hand, when the reefer mad prohibitionist crowd gets control and no retail dispensaries are allowed, quote, in order to protect the children or because they've opted out in order to protect local control, places like Walnut Creek, California and others, well, then the very opposite happens. Local control means no control because it's been shown that the war on drugs is lost, that law enforcement doesn't do this as well as we do. When there's no legal retail, street dealers control the market and they don't check ID. Kids are more likely to get access to weed from the illicit market. The main reason I like this story about licensed operators doing the right thing is not told enough is because of the connivance of the reefer madness crowd that exemplified in the California by the League of Cities or similar other groups. Opting out is such a hot topic, especially states in the East Coast right now. In my opinion, this League of Cities motion or movement has hidden an, an, an their anti-cannabis agenda, and they didn't disclose it when they pushed for the opt-out provision in California's legalization code, Proposition 64. They said they were pushing for local control, but they really are, in my estimation, is simply anti-cannabis. And they won. They won the first round. Almost 60% of California municipalities opted out of allowing cannabis. So whoop-de-doo, have some more pie. But what they really accomplished is devastating for the California economy, robbing us of hundreds of millions in tax revenue and billions over time. They've been terrible for small farmers, terrible for patients, terrible for educating citizens, but great for the illicit market. Bravo, prohibitionists. And I'm done speaking. Thank you so much, Christopher. What a way to end this week. We're at the top of the hour and the end of the week. That was a really great show. If you missed any of it, make sure to catch the replay or find us a few hours after the show anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you like the content, please subscribe and leave a review. A big thank you to all of the correspondents that comb through all the headlines each day to bring us just what we need to know. A big thank you to Rico and Jason for co-producing the show and our pinup girl, Liz. Is Rogan. Thank you for be, audience for being our eyes and ears when there's news in your city, county, state, or country. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you on Monday. You've been tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday, 9 a.m. Pacific time, for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Bye. Happy Memorial Day weekend. Time to wear white. (laughs) Have a great weekend. We will be here on Monday. See you then.
Hey, what are you still doing here? The show's over. You just don't want to leave, do you? I know. We love you, too. Help us grow by grabbing some of our merch. We've got hats, bags, hoodies, water bottles, all the standards. It would really mean a lot. Go to justsaycare.org backslash shop today. Really, I mean it. Today, with the supply chain issues, you might get it by Christmas. The good news is that inflation will be so bad, you'll be locked into a low, low price. Remember, justsaycare.org. Thanks. Okay, go listen to another podcast. Bye.